Well, good morning. Great to see um, everyone here today, and greetings to those joining us at uh, Crossroads Highland Park. Uh, I can't say the 01 because that space doesn't really work for social distancing, but for the first time, welcome to those joining us at the Vernon Hills campus. And welcome to those of you joining us from uh, home or from around. We have lots of people joining us from uh, faraway places, so Washington and Colorado and Florida and Georgia. And so welcome to everyone here today. Um, So a long time ago, when I was a grad student at Trinity, there was a uh, four-day weekend, and uh, a new friend of mine said, hey, why don't you come with me? I'm going to go back home to Minneapolis, and uh, we'll have a great weekend. Get out of here. And I said, it sounded great. So uh, we went uh, on Friday. We drove the six hours and went to Minneapolis. And when we got there, uh, early afternoon, we, I met his parents, and then uh, shortly after that, we sat down for dinner. And uh, during dinner, his mom said, that that evening their church was having a choir concert and a speaker. And much to my surprise, and quite honestly, a bit to my horror, (laughs) my friend said, oh, we got to go to that. And I'm thinking, seriously? I mean, like, I've been living in a library for months, and uh, we just drove six hours, it's Friday night, uh, and we're going to your church for a choir concert. Okay, I should have asked some more questions about uh, this great time in Minneapolis. But we went, and it was amazing. For starters, it was a gospel choir, and they just absolutely rocked the place. More significantly, the speaker was a guy by the name of Tom Skinner. And uh, he also brought things down. Tom was an African-American evangelist out of Harlem. And I remember that he started and he said, uh, uh, he's telling a little bit about his story. And he said, uh, I grew up uh, in Harlem. And he says, I went to Sunday school a little bit. uh, But he said, I saw a picture of Jesus in one of my Sunday school classrooms. And it's this picture here, this uh, 1940s painting, Warner Solomon. It, you know, it was everywhere. And he said, I saw this picture of Jesus. And he said, I, I looked at him and he said, I thought, well, I don't know much about this guy, but I know this. He wouldn't last 10 minutes in my neighborhood. And he said, so uh, I moved on. And then he asked, he said, so who's your Jesus? What does he look like? Is he pasty white and safe? Does he, does he use a lot of conditioner in his hair? Is he, uh, is he controllable? You know, well-groomed? Or is he the Jesus of the Bible? Is he the Jesus of Revelation 1? And that is uh, the question that I want to bring us to today. Because what we think matters and what we think about Jesus matters more than anything else. And it's imperative that your understanding of Jesus lines up with the Jesus of the Bible. So last week uh, in the first part of this uh, two-part sermon on the election, I said four things. I said, number one, uh, look... uh, who you vote for on Tuesday is dramatically less important than who you decide to honor as king and lord of the universe. Right? We've got to seek first the kingdom of God. Politics is important, but God is primary and politics is, is secondary, and so we have to keep these things ordered. Secondly, I said, it's 
important that you not forget we are to be people of hope. Uh, we, we, have, we have been called to hope, not, not optimism that we like the polling data or that we're excited about the CDC report or that uh, the economic forecast is good. Not, not optimism based on, on what we're seeing in, in terms of trend lines, but hope in Christ. Hope in, in the fact that God so loved the world that he sent his son who lived among us, died in our place, rose from the dead. Hope that the fact that the tomb was empty. That needs to shape us. Number three, I said, you and I are expected to love our neighbor and indeed to love our enemy. I said, uh, look, I, I'm not always certain what that looks like, but I know this. That uh, it doesn't look like vilifying them. It doesn't look like demonizing them. It doesn't look like uh, saying that they are evil because they have a political opinion different than yours. And then finally I said, we are to be people uh, who are united. <laughs> right? We, we are to be unified. It's, 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 it's not that there's a uniformity, but, but the church is to stay together. What, what defines us, that Jesus, what shapes us, should be so much more powerful than our political party's platform. And I said, so we are expected to find ways uh, to get along with each other. And then I said, I have one more point, but you have to come back next week, and, um, and that's now. So we're back on this uh, sermon, and I want to say, uh, remember, I wrote this a year ago. So I wrote this sermon back when Bernie Sanders was ahead of Joe Biden, back before COVID, back before George Floyd, back before uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death. I, I knew, I mean, it didn't, didn't take much to say this is going to be a contentious moment in our country's history. And so the first question is, what, what are the first big ideas that I want to be sure people are thinking about before they, they head off to vote? And then the second question was, and what am I going to say? After the election, when some people are going to be up and some people are going to be down. So what is it that I need to say that sort of uh, transcends the mood that people bring in? So I, I want to say this. It is imperative, whether your guy won or lost, it is imperative that you are looking at Jesus, that you are focused on Jesus, that he is defining your mood. Right? It is imperative that you are thinking about Christ. And here's the deal. There's, there's lots of people who are not, or there are lots of times when, uh, we, when we shape Jesus to be like us, we make a Jesus that we can understand, we, we mold him and he looks like us and he thinks like us and he votes like us, and, and we're not looking uh, at the Jesus of Scripture. And what we look at matters. And there's all kinds of examples in the Bible of people who are looking at the wrong things. And these are sort of, uh, you know, these are sort of exercises in missing the point. So uh, I, I think of Psalm 2. So Psalm 2 opens, and, uh, and it's a question. And the question is, why do the nations conspire against the Lord and his anointed? So the, there's a whole bunch of uh, enemies that have surrounded Israel. Israel's a small country. All, the, all her neighbors are lining up against her, and it looks really bad for Israel. And so the question is, why are the nations doing this? And, <laughs> but, but if you read on, you realize that, uh, 
that, that the position here is that all the, all the enemies, they're like little yippy dogs that are barking at you. And you look at them and you go, like you weigh two pounds, dog. I mean, like I, seriously, you want a piece of me? Like, I mean, if I just take a step towards you, you're going to run away. Or I remember I saw this uh, picture years ago. It's a, a picture of this uh, fluffy white house cat with a collar on it, walking, and, and they're out, it's out on the, the back, uh, their, the porch here, and there's a, uh, a bald eagle uh, that has landed, and the cat is walking towards the bald eagle, and the eagle's looking at it like, seriously, you're coming after me? Like, do you know who I am? Do you know how this is going to end? I mean, it's just, that's, that's sort of the, 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 the nations are looking at Israel, they're not looking at God. One other example, just because it's too good to pass up, about 15 years ago, Christmas morning, uh, our youngest son, he's 10 at the time, so he's whatever, you know, four of six and weighs 70 pounds. And uh, his brother, one of his older brothers, is 6'2 and weighs, you know, two and a half X. And, uh, and so there, we're all together as a family in the living room, and throughout the morning, the youngest son keeps keeps needling the, his, his older brother, going, come on, let's fight. Let's wrestle. Come on. I'll take it. Come on. Uh, and he's poking him, and he's bugging him, and he's throwing wrapping paper at him, and he's doing everything. And, you know, oh, Ben's scared of me. And, it, and it, it goes on for like an hour and a half, and Ben's saying nothing. And then, and I missed it because the fight lasted a second. And uh, I, I, but I turned around because I heard this thud, and, and there's Jason. He's landed on his back. Wind's knocked out of him. He's you know, doing the... Uh, and and uh, Sherry is laughing hysterically. And she's like, finally, right? You know, he just, he needled all morning long. And that's, that's Psalm 2. Verse 4 in Psalm 2. After the, what, why are the nations conspiring against Israel and against God's anointed? Why are they doing this? Verse 4 says, God looks down and laughs. <laughs> like, are you kidding like, you're coming after me. It's, a, it's an exercise in not understanding what is going on. 2 Kings chapter 6, there's a, a passage in which uh, King Aram, the Assyrian king, is really frustrated with Elisha. Elisha has been, uh, been undermining him. Elisha the prophet has been undermining him consistently. And so uh, Aram, finally, he figures out where Elisha is, is hiding and where he's staying. It's in this cave. So he sends a bunch of his army, and they surround the cave. And in the morning, uh, in the morning, Elisha's servant goes out to get water. And he goes out, and he looks, and there's this Assyrian army that has surrounded them. And he sort of immediately you know, drops, the, drops the vase, runs back into the cave, and says, oh, my goodness, you're not going to believe this. And, uh, and so Elisha steps out, <clears throat> and he looks, and then he prays, and he says, Father, open his eyes that he can see what's actually going on. And, and then it says the eyes of the servant are opened and he sees between the cave and the Assyrian army, he sees this army of angels with chariots of fire that are surrounding them and protecting them, right? That's, that's reality. It's different than what they were seeing. One more is uh, Revelation chapter 4. Uh, verse 1, and so we've been in Revelations chapter 2 and 3 for this series on the seven churches. Uh, so chapter 4 begins with uh, Jesus actually calling 
uh, calling John, the apostle, who's been writing these things down. And John, this old apostle, he's on the island of Patmos, and he's he during his during his devotional time one Sunday morning. God shows up, the voice of God shows up, write these things down, and he's been writing, he's been transcribing the letters that, that Jesus has been giving him to give to these seven churches. So then verse 4, Jesus says to, uh, to John, come up here and look at this. And so, uh, uh, and, and, and it says, and I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice uh, I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. And so what, what is happening here is John has an opportunity to sort of look down out of heaven and to look sort of over the, the ledge, just sort of the visual image here, and to see what is going to happen. To see the world as God sees it and to see the things that are going to come. Remember, John is then going to write this letter, the book of Revelation. He's going to write this to people who are persecuted and are, they're being persecuted now and they're going to suffer even more persecution to come. And he's, he's, he's able to tell them how this is going to end. Now, it's a, it's, a, it's a complicated book, right? Because John is, sees things that are really hard to describe. And so it's sort of a picture book. And we got seals and trumpets and crowns and dragons and horns and all kinds of things. And, you know, streets that are made of gold that's absolutely clear and see-through. And, you know, John, John has got a challenging job to try and put into words uh, the poverty of our language, what he saw in heaven and what he sees unfolding but the big picture here is that uh, Jesus wins. <laughs> right? the, the, you're looking at all the things that are going wrong. No, 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 no. Jesus wins. And so um, I want to be sure that uh, you are seeing that. Some of you are discouraged today. Some of you are encouraged today. The fact of the matter is, whether you're discouraged or encouraged, your disposition ought to be far more profoundly shaped by Jesus, by the promises of Jesus. We've got to keep things in perspective. We cannot let small things be big. We cannot let big things be small. And it's very easy for that to happen. We need to focus on who Jesus is. We need to focus on what Jesus has done. And we need to focus on the promises that he has made. And so I want to ask you again, what's your Jesus like? Does he look like you? Is he safe? Is he small? Can you control him? Does he look like the Warner Salmon picture of Jesus? Does he look like the Ricky Bobby Jesus of Talladega Nights, the baby Jesus? Or does your Jesus look like the Jesus of Revelation chapter 1? So you can turn to Revelation chapter 1, uh, and here's what we've got. The first, um, so let me just say again. The book of Revelation, last book of the Bible, it's complicated because it, it's, it's a letter, it's prophecy, it's apocalypse. It's some people's favorite book. As a matter of fact, more books have been written by, about the book of Revelation than have been written by about any other book of the Bible. One of the commentaries that I looked at uh, a while back in preparation for this <laughs> had 852 uh, different resources in the bibliography. 852 different books on the book of Revelation. So 
part of that is because it's complicated, and so there's people writing from a variety of different perspectives. When it comes to the book of Revelation, one of the things I, I want to say to people is, don't miss the forest for the trees on this book. So if you, if you dive down specifics, if you're trying to crack the code, if you're trying to figure out exactly what some of these, these images that we're getting, again, of dragons and of seals and of crowns and of bulls and all this, it can, it can be ch a challenge. But if you pull back to, to, to 30,000 feet, the message is absolutely clear. God wins. Jesus wins. Jesus triumphs. Don't lose heart. That's the big message of Revelation. So... Revelation chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 3 is sort of an introduction to the introduction. And then uh, verses uh, 4 through uh, 6 is uh, sort of a standard New Testament book introduction. Who wrote it, who they're writing to, a doxology. It sounds very normal. Then, um, then in verse 7, we get a little bit more of a preamble. Um, Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him, so shall it be. So I just want to mention, our, our passage just really starts with verse 9. I just want to mention, you might have heard before, Jesus is coming with the clouds. Jesus is coming with the clouds. And I don't know what that, I don't know what that conjures up for you, but here's what it's supposed to conjure up. Okay, Coming with the clouds, coming in the clouds. Old Testament imagery here. And the book of Revelation has more Old Testament references than any other New Testament book. The Old Testament imagery here is the Shekinah glory of God. So it's not Jesus coming on a big feather pillow, right? It's Jesus coming in majesty. Jesus coming in power. Jesus coming in might. He's coming with the Shekinah glory of God. Verse 8, uh, it announces, I am the Alpha and the Omega. So this is a merism, which means you, you say the first and the, and the last thing here, and it means everything in between. So it, it means Jesus is, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm everything. Like, I am, the, I am the main story here. And it's also a little bit of a, of a sticking his finger in the eye of the Romans because uh, the Romans sort of claim to be the first and the last and everything. And so he's, he's taking some of that language. It's a slap at them. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord uh, God, who is and who was and who is to come. So this is an awkward construction, but it's, it's because he's claiming the, uh, the it's, it's, it harkens us back to Exodus chapter 3 where God reveals himself to Moses in the burning bush and he reveals himself, I am who I am that I am. And so Jesus is sort of saying, right, I am that I am. I am the one who is, who was, who is to come. Complicated sort of uh, uh, conjugation here on the, on the verb to be, but basically he's saying, look, I, I, that's who I am. He's claiming that title. And note that he says, I am to come. 318 times in the New Testament, we are reminded that Jesus will return. 318 times, we are reminded that Jesus will return. And the fact that Jesus is going to return needs to shape us. So, uh, verse 9, here's our text. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. So, John, he's suffering. He's been banished to this island, right? They tried to kill him a couple times. All his friends have been killed. So there's suffering going on. He's, he's acknowledging that. 
and he's acknowledging that they're suffering. I'm, I'm your companion in this suffering uh, because of Christ. It was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of our Lord. On the Lord's day, uh, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, uh, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. So that's what we looked at, the churches of uh, uh, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, uh, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. We just finished a series looking at, at the letters to each of those. <clears throat> I turned around to see the voice, and there was, um, that was spoken to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Again, so we have all these pictures, uh, all these images. So we have the seven golden lampstands, the menorah, this, this has uh, imagery out of the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, the book of Leviticus. This is tabernacle furniture. In the Old Testament, the seven lampstands was a reference to uh, Israel. But we know here in the book of Revelation, it's a, it's a reference to the churches. And so he sees the one who is holding the churches in his hand. Verse, thir- um, verse 13 so I, I turned around to the voice that was spoken to me, and when I turned, I saw the seven golden lampstands. Uh, and among the lampstands was some like the Son of Man. So this is a reference. This Son of Man is the way that Jesus refers to himself. Um, I think I've got a problem here. Son of Man is the way that Jesus referred to himself in I'm thinking I paper clipped over my passage here, but I didn't. So Daniel chapter uh, 7. When Jesus is talking about himself, he doesn't call himself the son of God. He refers to himself as the son of man. And that always seems like it's a sort of a humble comment of his. It's not at all. And the, the religious leaders who know what the son of man is a reference to always go apoplectic when Jesus says this. So it's a reference back uh, to what is said here in uh, Daniel chapter 7, um, verse, beginning with verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days. So the Ancient of Days is, is God the Father. He came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion. To the Son of Man was given Dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. So, so this, is, this, this reference here in Revelation is clearly a reference back to, what, to the image we see in the book of Daniel. Remember, throughout the, the chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation... Jesus is introduced in each of those letters, right, to the angel of the church of whatever, to the angel of the church of Pergamum, uh, uh, the one, and the one who has the double-edged sword in his mouth, Jesus. So we've got the, the letter identified to who it's going to, who's writing it. The references there to Jesus, the seven different references, are all mentioned in Revelation chapter 1. More significantly, they are all from the Old Testament, and their big claims to God's power. Jesus claims each one of them. So these, these references to God the Father, Jesus is claiming they're references to me. They show up in Revelation chapter 1, and then they show up 
in the letters. So here is this idea, again, he's the son of man. He's the one that comes in all power. All dominion is given to him. He is the judge over everyone. Every knee will bow to the son of man. That's who Jesus claims to be. So uh, among the lampstands was, some, was someone like the son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his left reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. So uh, robes, basically, the more important the person, the longer the robe. This robe reaches all the way down to his feet, um, and, and clearly he's, he's being honored. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. Again, this goes back to, to Daniel. It goes back to Daniel chapter 10. It's a reference that he is wise, and now it's a reference to the fact that he's like the Ancient of Days, not just the Son of Man. <laughs> he's like God the Father. He is wise. Um, his eyes were like a blazing fire. He can see everything. He's the judge, and he can see everything. Verse 15, his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. Again, this is reference back to Daniel. Uh, his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. So, um, look, there's the roar of the ocean. Everything about this is, I'm, I'm seeing, I am seeing Jesus. John had seen Jesus. He had lived with Jesus. He saw him every day for three years. He actually even saw Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration. He saw Jesus in his glory. This is completely taking his breath away. He's seeing Jesus in heaven, and he's saying, oh my goodness, he's like this, and he's like this, and he's like this, and it was thunder. I couldn't hear myself think, and, and he was glorious, and he had all this. He's holding everything up in his hand. Um, in his right hand, he held seven stars, and uh, coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. Again, this clearly goes back the Old Testament. Moses couldn't look at the face of God, right? He couldn't look and live. And, and the, so now it's being compared to the sun. If you look at the sun, it will be the last thing you look at. And, and this, is the, this is what is being said here. John is overwhelmed. And he says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. <laughs> right? That's his response. He, he, is, he is not able to take this in. Jesus has completely overwhelmed him. And um, so it says he, he placed his right hand on me. And in Isaiah, this is clear references back to Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah gets, in the year the king Uzziah died, Isaiah sees God and, and he falls down and he says, woe is me, I'm not going to survive. And the angel comes by and and sort of, uh, you know, intercedes for him. And here Jesus is reaching down. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. <laughs> okay. The first words ever spoken, you know, uh, the, the Jesus uh, that we get recorded by right? John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so Jesus is the one that's going to create everything. He's got the first word. He's also got the last word. I am the living one. I was dead. Now I am alive. Look, I am forever and ever. So, Here's the question. What are you looking at? Like when you are discouraged or when you are thinking everything is going to work out, like <laughs> when you are making big things small or small things big, 
What is the solution? What is the way forward? I want to add to those four points that I said last week. Remember who we vote for as Lord of our life is more important than who we vote for as president. Remember we're to be people of hope. Remember we're to love our, our neighbors and our enemies. Remember we're to be unified. Remember we are to focus on Jesus. We are to live in light of eternity. The Christian life does not make any sense except in light of forever. But once we factor in forever, once we go to the book of Revelation and we're looking at what is ultimate and real and eternal, then that changes everything. We must live in light of his second coming as judge of the world. Liberals, when they look at the book of Revelation, they sort of make a a metaphor out of his return, and they say, um, you know, Jesus returns every time somebody does a nice thing. Conservatives, as a general rule, when they go to the book of Revelation, get all wrapped up trying to set a date. (laughs) We've got two exercises of missing the point. No, 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 don't go there. Live today in light of the Jesus who is victorious in the future. Live today in light of eternity. That is what we are being called to do. We have to be shaped far more by Christ than by election results and party platforms. You have to be looking at the real Jesus, not Warner Salmon's Jesus, not the Ricky Bobby Jesus, not a Jesus that looks like you, thinks like you, acts like you, and votes like you. Not the Jesus that is safe, not a Jesus you understand, a Jesus that overwhelms, <laughs> a Jesus that takes your breath away, a Jesus in front of whom you can do nothing except fall down and say, you are worthy, and, and you have got this. In my uh, devotion this week, I was reading uh, Psalm 86, and I was meditating for a while on the first four verses in Psalm 86. And uh, in those four verses, David sort of puts on a clinic for the need, in light of everything that's going on, to focus on God, right? To look at God. To look at his problems in light of who God is. To look at the blessings in light of who God is. So that is my admonition to you today. We have got to be people who are shaped principally by Christ. Who, whose lives are his. We've got, to look, we've got to be people who are looking at Jesus and then looking at everything else after we're looking at Jesus. And if we get those out of order, or if your Jesus is safe and small not the Jesus of the Bible, then, you know, you might have a lot of sleepless nights or you might have a lot of false hope. (laughs) We are called to be people who are other than that. Let me pray for us. Lord God Almighty, I I know that uh, this day there are people who are um, encouraged. I know there are people who are discouraged. And uh, I want to pray that uh, as your church, we can be people who are looking first and primarily at you. We are not making small things big. We're not making big things small. We are focusing on you. And we are being shaped by you. And we are, we are taking our marching orders from you. So guide us to that end. Help us to, to understand 
you, Lord Jesus, just a little bit more clearly today and to see uh, life and the opportunity to serve and the, the, uh, to gain the energy to persevere in the midst of trials and suffering uh, because of who you are and because of the certain promises that we have about uh, your ultimate and eternal victory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.